Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all again. Last year, I was uh, meeting with a friend, and he shared with me that he had lost his passion for Christ. He reminisced on the days after he had received Christ as his Savior and how he experienced exceeding great joy. He talked fondly about the days of his faith when the loving kindness of the Lord seemed to never cease, the compassion of the Lord seemed to never fail, and every morning was a glimpse of God's greatness, of his faithfulness. But then his countenance of his face changed as he spoke about the current spiritual drought that he was experiencing and how he longed for the experience of Christ, of the presence of Christ as he enjoyed in his early years as a Christian. As we met after that time, we, we attempted to focus our attention on the topic of enjoying God. And as our conversations went on, it led us to recall the, the first question and answer found in the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism. The first question is the most popular of all questions within the catechism. And it asks, what is the chief end of man? Now, what that means is, is what should be a person's highest purpose, a person's highest goal, a person's highest endeavor? What is the chief purpose? And it's a good question, isn't it? And our church fathers were wise to make this question the first one in the catechism because it really does focus in down on what is really important in life. And so they answered this important question by saying, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now their conclusion was that a person's highest purpose, highest goal, endeavor, or achievement is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, as I studied their answer, I discovered that there are many theologians that believe that they, they have a preferred way of answering this first question. They answer it, man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. What they're saying is that a person's highest purpose, goal, endeavor, or achievement is to glorify God by enjoying Him. Simply stated, we glorify God by enjoying Him. As Pastor John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Now, as I dug into this topic of enjoying God, I was surprised to discover all the verses where God is calling us to enjoy him. And let me just share with you a few. This is just a drop in the bucket of the scriptures that is given to us. God's calling us to enjoy him. First, rejoice in the Lord always. Delight yourself in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. When, I take delight, when you take delight in me, declares the Lord, I will cause you to rise, ride on the highest mountains and let you enjoy the heritage of Jacob. 
And again, this is just a drop in the bucket of the scriptures that God is calling us to enjoy him. Now notice that God is calling us to enjoy him. He's not calling us to enjoy an idea or a philosophical point of view, nor even a religious system. God is calling us to enjoy him, enjoying him. Notice we rejoice in the Lord. We delight ourselves in the Lord. Our soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Our God is the great I am who dwells with his people and in his presence there is great joy. Amen. God is glorified when we rejoice in him, delight in him and enjoy him. But of course, the question is, how do we enjoy God? Well, come to find out, God has given us certain things, certain areas to focus on so that we might find enjoyment in him. God tells us in his word that he is glorified when we have joy in our salvation. That he is glorified when we have joy in his word. We are glorified when we enjoy his presence. And he is glorified when we have joy in the midst of trials. And these are the four areas that we will look at for in the next few weeks so that we together might find enjoyment with God. Now, when Barbara and I plan on visiting somewhere, we always try to find the people who have traveled to that location before us. And we want to ask them questions about what we should do when we go there so that we might have the most enjoyment in our trip. A few years ago, we were planning a trip to the Grand Canyon, and at that time there was a member of our church who was a Grand Canyon expert. When he heard about our plan to visit the Grand Canyon, he and his wife invited us over for lunch, and it seemed like he couldn't wait for the meal to be over with so he could tell us all about the Grand Canyon. After we had the delightful lunch, he drew a map on how to get to the West Rim, which is a whole adventure in and of itself. And then he tells us what to do when we visit the National Park to get the most enjoyment because a lot of times the the crowds can kind of mount up and you kind of miss out on it. And then he told us if we're going to go all that way and get so close that we had to spend a few days in Sedona so that we could enjoy the Red Rock Mountains. That guy made our trip to the Grand Canyon ten times better than if I had ever planned that trip myself. Now, don't get me wrong. Any trip to the Grand Canyon is a good trip. But it was far more enjoyable because that guy had us focus on particular things that he knew that would bring us the ultimate enjoyment in our trip. I'm here to tell you today, any life in Christ is a good life. But God in his word has given us areas to focus on so that we might enjoy our journey with Christ all the more. Today we're going to focus in on experiencing joy in the God of our salvation. The prophet Habakkuk 
wrote, Though the fig trees should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord, and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. That finishes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Now here the prophet Habakkuk is confessing his unwavering joy in the God of his salvation. Instead of finding joy in the temporal pleasures of this world. Now, any farmer knows that there's a possibility that this year's crop might not yield, might have a low yield. Every salesman knows just because you had a good month this month is no guarantee that you're going to have a good one next month. Every coach knows winning the championship this year doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to win the championship next year. And everyone knows if the stock market goes up this week, it's no guarantee that it's going to stay up next week. But for the prophet Habakkuk, this invasion into Judah by the Chaldeans, well, it had been promised before his day as a prophet. And now it was intimate. God was going to send this invasion. The prophet knew that because of this invasion, the fig tree was not going to blossom and there would be no fruit on the vines. He knew that the fields would not produce any food and that the invaders would take their livestock away from them. But instead of focusing on the loss of these things, instead of focusing on the loss of these temporal pleasures, the prophet proclaims, I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk chose to focus his joy on the God of his salvation. And he purposed himself that he was going to exalt and rejoice in the God of his salvation, even though it was for certain that the invasion was going to come. And it was this determination of delight. This is the secret of glorifying and enjoying God. It's this determination of delight that we must ask for the Holy Spirit to give to us. That even though the invasions of this world will come upon us, even though things will be taken away from us, I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And nobody and no thing is going to take my joy away. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the, the, the evil one, the enemy, he comes to steal, kill and destroy your joy. He has no greater pleasure to see your soul downcast. But we have this determination of delight given to us by the Holy Spirit that we have chosen to exalt our Lord and to rejoice in our salvation. I pray that the Spirit of God does a work amongst us. In this world of dissension, damaged relationships, 
and divorce? Wouldn't it be wonderful to know that there was someone that you could count on? Wouldn't it be wonderful to know that there was someone who is eternally good, eternally loving, and eternally cares for you? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that that someone is God himself. He is eternally good, eternally loving, and he eternally cares for you. God tells us in his word that he had a predetermined plan to give us complete salvation through the accomplishments of his son, our Lord Jesus. And God's salvation through Christ, the scriptures tells us, brings us a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. In this world that is withering like the grass and drooping like flowers, isn't it reassuring to know that the God of our salvation abides forever? In this perishing and throwaway world, isn't it comforting to know that, our, that the God of our salvation through Christ has given us a salvation that is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, and is reserved, it's reserved in heaven for you. <laughs> and this, should, shouldn't this bring us great joy? I say yes, a thousand times yes. Why do we allow the invasions in our lives to take our joy away? Take our food, take our fruit, take our cattle. But you're not going to take my joy. It's a determination of delight that God through the Holy Spirit wants to pour out onto your parched soul. The fact is we find enjoyment in many things. In our possessions, our careers, our relationships, in food, clothing, travel. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with these things. And there's nothing wrong with finding pleasure in these things. Actually, the Bible says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. So, finding pleasure in these things isn't necessarily sinful in itself. The problem is, is our focus is too low. We're picking the low-hanging fruit, <laughs> Our focus is too low. We think that our possessions or our clothing or our travel or our relationship is going to satisfy us and continue in this everlasting way to give us joy. Our focus is too low. Shouldn't our focus be on the eternal God and finding joy in him, the one who never fails, whose promises are for everlasting and that he is good? Why would we settle for anything else instead of finding enjoyment in, with God? Again, I'll quote Pastor Piper. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when God is our ultimate satisfaction. That's when he's most glorified. There's an episode at the beginning of the book of Acts where Peter and John are going to the temple in Jerusalem to pray. 
and as they passed through the gate called Beautiful, there was a man, a lame man there. He had been lame for life, uh, sitting at the gate uh, asking for alms. And, and he appealed to Peter and John for some alms. And the scriptures tells us that uh, Peter fixed his eyes on this man and said to him, Silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I'm going to give it to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. The scriptures tell us that Peter took the man by his right hand and lifted him up. And immediately as he stood up, his feet and his ankle bones had received strength. And so, leaping up, he stood and, and walked and entered into the temple with them. But when, as he went into the temple, he was walking and leaping and praising God. Hmm. Now, even though I believe that this miracle actually happened, I believe that it's a perfect metaphor to what happens to us when we receive the salvation from our God. We, you see, we are all spiritually lame from birth. All of us are spiritually disabled to walk with God. We, we beg our way through this life trying to get a few alms from this world. And then one day a passerby tells us, that the silver and gold of this world will not satisfy us. It won't bring us the satisfaction that we're looking for. And he tells us the good news about a loving God who has an eternal plan to give us complete salvation, absolute redemption through the accomplishments of his only son. In essence, this passerby says to us, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give it to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, Stand up, rise up, and walk. And at that moment, when we receive the good news from this passerby, we gain the spiritual strength to stand up and walk with God. Well, this morning, I just want to tell you, I am the passerby. And I'm here to tell you that there is salvation in no one else. That there is no other name given under heaven that we might be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? So receive the Lord's salvation today. Receive it. Rise up and walk. But I want you to notice in this story, walking wasn't good enough for this guy. Walking wasn't sufficient. He had to walk and leap and praise God. And let me just tell you, thanks be to God that you're walking with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to his holy name. But I'm telling you, don't be satisfied with just walking. Start leaping. Start jumping. Start rejoicing. Start enjoying the God of your salvation, and don't let the invasions of this world, don't let the enemy come and steal your joy because our God is great and he's a liar. Somebody could say amen. amen. Brothers and sisters, the question we have to ask ourselves today, are we fulfilled with an inexpressible and joyous joy for the God of our salvation. Because the Bible tells us that even though we do not see Christ, we love him. And even though we do not see him now, we believe in him. 
and we are, the Bible goes on to say, and we are filled with an inexpressible and joyous joy, glorious joy, which is the salvation of our souls. So, I mean, the question we have to ask ourselves, do, do we have that type of joy? And if we don't, we have to ask ourselves, why? And what I'm telling you today, listen, walking with God isn't good enough. We should be walking and leaping and praising God. That's what we should be doing. What I'm suggesting is that we need to have a talk with our inner self. We need to have a talk with our souls. And we need to cast out this spiritual boredom that has caused us to fall into a spiritual slumber. We need to say to our souls, as the scriptures admonish us, my soul shall be joyful in the Lord, it shall rejoice in his salvation. It's a determination of delight. It's the secret of having joy in God. Notice, my soul shall be joyful in the Lord, it shall rejoice in his salvation. Because the enemy wants to take it away, I'm not going to let it happen. It is a determination of delight. We need to speak to our inner man today. If you would speak to your soul today and say, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. He, as a bridegroom, decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride has adorned herself with her jewels. I will rejoice in the Lord of my salvation. Brothers and sisters, The hour has come that we wake up from our spiritual slumber and enjoy the God of our salvation. We have to realize that there is a reason why they call us the frozen chosen. They call us the frozen chosen because We follow the Lord with our head and without our hearts. We've clung to the truth of our theology without the fullness of the Holy Ghost. We've stuck to our principles with little passion for Christ. No wonder they call us the frozen chosen. But I believe that it is time to allow the fire of the Holy Spirit to unthaw our frozen hearts and start living with joy to the God and the God of our salvation. Amen. Amen. Did you know that the divine disposition of a Christian is having joy in the God of his salvation? That's the reason why the things of this world want to cause an evasion upon you. Because joy is the divine disposition of the Christian. That's the reason why the enemy seeks to steal it and kill it and destroy it in your life. Because joy is the divine disposition of a Christian. If you don't have joy, then you're not giving any glory to God. Let me just go through half of the book of Acts. 
and prove my point. That this is, that joy is the divine disposition. Did you know that the early church was known for their gladness of heart? Did you know that when the gospel came to the city of Samaria, that the scriptures tell us that there was much rejoicing in all of that city? Did you know that the Ethiopian eunuch, after receiving Christ and being baptized, coming up out of the water, that he went on his way rejoicing? Did you know that when the Gentiles on Paul's first missionary journey believed that God had appointed for them to have eternal life, that they began rejoicing and glorifying God? Did you know that the Paul and Barnabas, when they departed from the city of Iconium, from, for the city of Iconium, and the Christians in the region for which they had just left remained, the Bible says that they were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that as Paul and Barnabas traveled to the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, that the scriptures tells us that they brought great joy to all the brethren from Antioch to Jerusalem? Did you know that the Philippian jailer and his whole household, when they had believed in Christ, that the Bible tells us that they greatly rejoiced? Did you know that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit? Therefore, we should soberly ask ourselves that if I am not experiencing joy in the Holy Spirit, then I must have left the kingdom of God. I must have went on a journey somewhere. Because the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Yes, joy is the divine disposition of the Christian. Now, the Pentecostals will go through that, those same chapters I just went through. And what they're going to tell you is that the evidence that you are a Christian is that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the Baptists will go through that same course of scripture and they'll say the evidence that you're a Christian is that you are baptized in water. But I'm telling you, if you go through those scriptures, you go through half of the book of Acts and you see the unifying characteristic, the divine disposition of a Christian is joy. Again, that's the reason why the enemy wants to steal it from you. Kill it in you. My challenge today is very simple. We need to have joy in the God of our salvation. As the psalmist wrote, I will, you, you, will be, you will make known to me the path of life, O Lord. In their presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. That's, that's true, man. True joy is knowing God, abiding in Christ, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. For those of you who are here today seeking joy through the things of this world, well, I have good news for you. Jesus Christ is the source of true joy. 
as the angels told the shepherd, as the angel told the shepherd, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there is born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. God the Father sent his Son, our Lord Jesus, to go after the sheep who had gone astray. And when he finds us, he lays us on his shoulders rejoicing. He gathers together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep who is lost. Our Lord Jesus is like the woman who had ten silver coins and she loses one. And so she lights a lamp and she sweeps that house, searching carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls all of her friends and her neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that had been lost. And Jesus gives these little stories to let us know that there is great rejoicing in heaven when you believe in Christ. The angels in heaven are rejoicing when you rest in the gospel. Yes, our Lord Jesus is like the prodigal father. When his son finally came home, said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandal on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine who was dead will, has come to life again. He was lost, but now he has been found. Let us celebrate. That's what God wants us to do. And you have the opportunity today to make heaven rejoice by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. It's time to come to the altar. It's time to come to the altar. Surrender your life to Christ. And give your heart to him. For those of you that are in Christ this morning, my challenge is for us to shake off our spiritual slumber. And that we would resolve to have joy in the God of our salvation that is found in Christ Jesus. My challenge is that you would not allow that we would allow the Holy Spirit to plow through the rocky places of our heart. And give us this divine disposition of joy in the Holy Spirit. The the fact is that the joy of our salvation is something that has to be watched over. It's something that you have to give special attention to. Because you can lose it. It can wander off. The enemy can come and steal it and take it away. It's something that you have to pay very, very careful attention to because you can lose your joy in God. That's the whole reason why David in his great psalm of repentance writes, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. You can lose it. And maybe you have. Maybe you're like my friend that I spoke about in the introduction, and you've really lost your joy in Christ. But David goes on, he says, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, and grant unto me a willing spirit that would sustain me. So you see, it's what I mentioned before, it's this determination of delight. This willingness of spirit, this resolve that we have, that we are going to 
have joy in the God of our salvation, even though the fruit no longer hangs from the tree, the food is no longer on the table, and the livestock is no longer in the barn, yet I will exult in my God, and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Amen? Amen. David needed the joy of the Lord's salvation to be restored in his life, and maybe you do too. So let's ask God together to give us a willing spirit to sustain the joy for the Lord in our lives. It's time to come to the altar and surrender our lives to Christ and give our hearts to him as our Savior. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we come to you today confessing that we have sought satisfaction from the things of this world. And even though they are so good and so enjoyable, they do not satisfy. So, Lord, we come to you today acknowledging that you and you alone are the one who can bring satisfaction to my life. Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to come into my life. Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Save me from myself and cause me, Lord, to be forgiven and claim me as a child of God. And as your children, Lord, we admit to you that often we lose our joy. But we've come into this place today and we have this determination of delight to have this this divine disposition of joy restored in our hearts and lives. We come to your altar, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.